Sub Thrill Seekers, I'm Dev. And I'm Connor, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria. On a new microphone. Leveling up. Level up. <laughs> Welcome or welcome back, thrill seekers, to the Mass Hysteria podcast, where we are coming at you with the new awesome microphone. Yes, yes. It that's, might even pick up the... on Connor's wheezing before he gets his tonsils out tomorrow. Everyone, wish me all your all your well wishes. Well, he'll be eating a lot of. I can popsicles. um I can give our PO box that we don't have for your, your gifts and cards and chocolates and flowers yeah it's the county jail you're correct um <laughs> no but yes he'll be out of commission for a little while so we are recording recording um but part of his the reason he's getting surgery is because connor's a heavy breather i am so a heavy breather so you might see some changes next time. <laughs> so if you hear heavy breathing in the next few episodes just now we're hoping it's not permanent yeah. <laughs> We're really hoping it's not fun. All of you pray with us. <laughs> um, okay, so without further ado, we are going to be covering the case of Joyce McLean. Um, this is another cold case that was solved, which is always awesome to hear. Um, and I think it really shows that the, the family persevered. This was a almost 40 years it took to to get solved so um let's let's start we're in maine this week east millinocket maine um so joyce mclean she was like the all-american girl she uh this was the 80s so at well 1980 exactly so she had the flipped out hair um i love it like huge bright beautiful smile um and she was really like, you know, when people are like, oh, so-and-so's right, lights up a room or they're good at everything. Like, both of those, um, like, I guess overused yeah. cliches actually, yeah. like, very much held true when ta- thinking about Joyce. Um, she was extremely independent, but she was very socially adept um, and had, a, like, a lot of friends, especially in different social groups. She was really dedicated to everything she did. So she tried basketball, soccer, theater, and she was very talented so she, she was better than us basically. she was she was uh like an all-american athlete um incredible but this is actually what i think is really impressive i mean all of this is already impressive but she was not only a, a stellar athlete she was also an exceptionally talented musician so and i've met a couple of people like this but i feel like this is a very rare quality um she could listen to something like on the radio mm-hmm. and immediately know how to play it uh, so like having like a phonographic memory or is that different um, that's different i think right yeah i yeah. don't but know the definition really cool. of that thanks for making um <laughs> calling me out like that but yeah so she could listen to any song and she would know how to play it on um, that's so cool. different instruments so she was not only athletically gifted but musically gifted as well um in 1980 she was 16 years old uh and this was the end of summer so august 8th uh i know school usually starts back up end of august early september so i think a lot of people probably relate to this like when you're that age you know mid mid early high school 
whatnot, you want to go back to school and like look like you changed mm-hmm. and like you had a glow <laughs> up, right? Before that was a phrase. Um, so she was involved with her athletics uh, during the morning and she would hang out with friends, but she was, you know, jogging a little at night, uh, like evening, um, wanted to kind of, you know, get in shape uh, more than I guess she already was and kind of come back from the school year being like, yeah, you looking know, good. yeah, looking good, right? End of summer, yeah. Um, so she left her house on August 8th and she was wearing a um, pink running suit and she was going out for like her evening jog. And she left around 7.30. So I guess in August and Maine, it's probably like dusky, but it's not dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her uh, jogging route took her behind the high school where she where she went to high school. So she was familiar with the area and she would run around that area all the time. It was close to her house. And then um, she would still have, you know, could do a couple miles or whatnot and then go back. Probably knew the route well. So knew like exactly. what time to be back, all of that. And because she played soccer the jogging route was like very close to the soccer fields okay um and so on this particular day august 8th 1980 like a thunderstorm was coming in so she went out to go for her run and she was planning on being back like she had her route planned out because she knew not only is it gonna start getting dark but there's also this thunderstorm coming in and so she said bye to her mom took off like i said just before probably 7 30 and then uh, was not seen again and not only was it scary because there's a thunderstorm and she's by herself but this also means that if there's any evidence of like what might have happened to her it's gonna get washed right, away or eroded rain. or whatnot right. so 35 hours passed before she was located um and we'll get into that in one second but this was a really shocking case for this town because, and, and this is coming from someone who grew up in a small town, this town's population was 2,300 people. That's itty-bitty. Like, that's very small. That's probably 100 kids per grade in the mm-hmm. high school. Everyone knows everyone. And normally, there was 2,300 people, but this particular weekend, because it was a end-of-summer weekend, there was 700 um, construction workers that came in from out of town because... They were finishing like a, a, a boiler project at one of the paper mill companies. And there was another 300 people there for the weekend because they were attending a statewide um, softball. So tournament. essentially the town's like 50% bigger. Exactly. So now not only are they like have to consider the town's population, but there's all these people that normally wouldn't be there. Um, so she left. No one saw her again. 35 hours passed before she was found on Saturday morning, which we'll talk about in one second. But the same night that she goes missing, a 19-year-old man, his name is Philip Scott Fortier, he um, stole an oil truck and crashed it into another vehicle. Uh, And it was so bad that his injuries were so bad that he had a brain injury and was in a coma for three weeks. Oh, my God. So when he woke up, you know, think authorities, again, we'll get into it in a second when she was found, but like... Authorities like, okay, uh, you know, a teenage girl goes missing, and now this young man also has this right. kind of freak accident. Yeah. In this small town where, like, probably nothing happens, two crazy things happen in, in one night. one night. Um, and so he told authorities, like, you know, after he woke up from the coma, which, again, he was in a coma for three weeks, he told them, I have a very hazy memory of what happened that night. And um, he kind of started throwing out some names that he thought of people that could have been involved because uh he you know he's that kind of age i mean they're probably gonna look at young men right Mm -hmm. and so he's like oh well you know so and so might know something 
Um, so they obviously questioned him exactly. regarding this case. Well, because they were like, well, maybe you were involved, you know, if, mm-hmm. if he doesn't have any memory of it. Um, and so he would start to say, you know, this is coming back to me. I think this person might be linked oh to it. Oh, my God. Um, and uh, this is a quote from the Bangor Daily that Gary Boynton, who the defense stated had scratches on his body, um, uh, believed that he could be involved. So, like, this Gary man was just a random name he threw out. He's oh like, well, gosh. he had scratches, so... Uh, I think that he might have been involved with Joyce's disappearance. So first we can't remember the night, but now we remember like specific, specific details like, oh, he has scratches. But they also, they didn't have any um, information, like they were hitting, you know, dead ends. So uh, they, and if, if there was any potential, oh, yeah, they, they were going to pursue it. Well, this is also the 80s, so DNA and all, it's, everything's not as advanced. And, and existent, you know, non-existent. Non-existent. Right? And... Everything got rained out. So, like, the, the hard evidence that they might have found, like you were saying, is gone. So, yeah, they have to follow up on everything. So, um, okay. So, when Joy was, Joyce was actually found, um, her mother her mother is such a warrior. Um, she would not, like, she gave, poured everything into getting her daughter justice and getting her daughter's case solved. Um, but when her, her uh, Joyce did not return from her run... Her mom called around and was like, hey, you know, have you seen my daughter? Like, kind of started off casually calling friends and then was, like, calling anyone that might have seen Joyce. And, um, like we said, the thunderstorm was getting heavier and heavier as the night goes on. So she organized the search for her daughter. And, like I said, she was found 35 hours later. And that was on a Saturday morning. Her body was discovered near the high school soccer fields. Oh so God. where she was running. her route. Exactly. And her neck and her head had clearly been like struck or hit by some kind of object um a young man his name was peter larley he was really really overzealous to help out in the case which originally i think was kind of a red flag to authorities mm-hmm. because they're like okay yeah, and he, i think he i i'm just trying to figure out what their relationship was i think he just like knew her i don't think it was like he, he wasn't a boyfriend or a close friend i think he just knew, knew of her because yeah, small town yeah maybe he wanted to help I, I don't know, but he was very overzealous, and so police were like, "Why is he um, being so helpful?" Being yeah. So, yeah, exactly. But he was cleared as a suspect, and he was ultimately one that that found her, um, and she was found um, uh, with her clothes like thrown in a pile next to her. Oh my god! And uh, there, people started having theories about what could have happened because mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. Not only is this the route that she runs every single day, but she's found like next to her high school. Um, and so one of the theories that locals had was, like, she might have been harassed by s- someone um, from out of town, like, maybe catcalling her, and they beat her up. Um, right. Um, but, yeah, so people start, were just desperate for answers, so they were kind of pursuing any kind of theory. And, uh, there Lots really of speculation, was, there, I'm sure, it, yeah. Exactly. So, granted, this is 1980. Six months later, in 1981, uh, her mother establishes the Committee for Joyce, which... Um, Put out a reward for find like finding information about mm. what had happened to her daughter. Uh, so that's six months later. Five years later, there's still no progress. So her mom, it her name's Pam. Pam is like writing letters to the state attorney general to try to get them to take over the investigation. Oh my She's God. Uh, Pam's by, amazing. Amazing. She got six thousand people to sign a petition wow. so that in 1989 they covered her case on unsolved mysteries. How many people did she get to sign it? Six thousand. Oh my God! When you and you have to figure like yeah today like you can just do like change dot org yeah. like this is the eighties. So she, had she to was around. walking around asking people to sign a petition. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, and so 
her in 2008. Okay, so 1980. We can do a quick math. 2008, 28 years later, the second autopsy was done because her her mom was like, maybe there's DNA advancements now. Right. Again, her mom, the hero of the story. Um, so her body was exhumed, and there was no DNA of anybody except her own. So they. Uh, like they didn't have any DNA evidence of sexual assault at this okay. point, though it was obviously bizarre because her clothes were right. So there may have been, her, so or just even if even there's if a sexual she wasn't element. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's sexual. Um, and so in 2009, which is the year later, her gravesite was vandalized. Which her mom was like, "Okay, well, someone was clearly like potentially." Yeah, that's uh, really I odd. Put words in her mom's mouth, but like it does make you think that right. someone was What's someone was on? annoyed or like yeah. irritated that they tried to. Bring this back. Um, bring up. it back up, um, but if we go back to uh, Philip Scott Fortier, the man who crashed the oil truck and oh, suddenly had no memory, um, he apparently, like throughout this, like I said, this is we're almost at thirty years now. This is solved in twenty sixteen. Okay, so that by that point, it's thirty six years. Um, throughout those thirty years. Uh, to, he confessed to multiple people, including a pastor, his his like personal oh pastor at his church, that he had killed her. Um, he. Why were these confessions not taken seriously? I, that's what I don't understand, and I don't know if they uh, weren't taken seriously. Like this is not us, um, you know, faulting the investigation because we don't know the circumstances of the investigation. But are they like? not taking it seriously because he has a TBI from the accident. Right. And also or... because he already threw out so much stuff at them that turned out to be false. But it would be, yeah, anyway. That's he, so bizarre. He confessed to his pastor. He apparently confessed to um, a man that he had worked with in the early 2000s as they were both doing, like, janitorial work, and he confessed oh to him. So it, it wasn't like he was confessing it to his parents or like some I mean I guess he could be close to his pastor but like he was loosely offering up this yeah, information exactly. when he would get it, talking especially if it was like a co-worker exactly so in 2009 he was arrested on um, charges of child pornography possession oh uh, and at this point he was still only just a person of interest in her murder so it wasn't a suspect but in 2016 he was finally arrested so he his his confessions were were taken seriously and this i think was and they they'll bring in witnesses which i'll talk about in a second but um he apparently was using his tbi or his i guess what the authorities presumed were the uh long-lasting impact of his tbi to his uh benefit because he told some people that he would use this injury as an excuse when he Mm. was questioned or he would make up stuff um and the defense, like his defense, when he was went to trial, tried to claim that, you know, his memory was still really bad. And the judge <laughs> saw right through the entire act. Um, his stepbrother actually took the stand at his trial and claimed that this whole time uh, he knew, or uh, not this whole time, but he remembers Philip like back in the day saying, you know, I have a crush on Joy, Joyce oh and being like, like very, before she died. Yeah. And being wow. like very um, aggressive when Joyce like didn't reciproc- reciprocate the feelings. And um, I think like she probably just kind of saw him as a casual friend from what I've read. Right. And he, he was like obsessed with her. Um, so how does it all connect? Right. Like her disappearance, the truck crash. Apparently, he had stolen the truck in an attempt to 
um, unalive himself after he murdered her. Oh, my God. And so uh, he finally was prosecuted in the court and was found guilty. And he has life in prison. And he has tried to um, appeal his conviction several times and with no success. Um, and he will he will be in jail the rest of his life. God, I what hope he did so. is, is horrific. Um, but I wanted to share this story because um, not only like is Joy seem like the coolest person ever. I wish I was friends with her in high school. Um, like musical I and know. athletic. I know. Uh, our dream. <laughs> our dream. Um, but I think it's also really. Um, a uh, great example of a family like persevering to get their case solved and like mm. Connor and I have been doing a lot of uh, podcast work related to cold cases which I know we keep talking about but we're going to share really soon so this definitely uh, is something that we're passionate about and to see her mom just not stop at anything to get yeah, her daughter for 40 years ba- yeah almost just 40 shy years. of 40 that's years. amazing and um, and into I think it must be even more I mean, I guess I guess having an unsolved case for forty years and not knowing the killer the whole time is frustrating in its own sense too. But like she knew, like they knew I the know. whole time that it was this guy, and they couldn't connect it to him. And then finally, you know, enough people came forward. Oh, he he confessed to me and like kind of connected the dots on what happened with the truck. But um, he will be in jail for the rest of his life, and the beautiful spirit of Joyce will live on. Uh, definitely, um, the Bangor Daily news um one of the main publications they have published a ton of articles about her case uh but she's she is a beautiful ray of sunshine and her her spirit will live on while he rots in jail so um yeah i wanted to, i'm excited to share that this case with you guys and we will see you next time we actually they're gonna hear one more episode right before you get your tonsils they out. will and uh, then no then... more though all episodes going forward will be tonsil free what if Connor comes back and his voice is like three octaves higher? Or what if I come back? Supposedly it can, yeah, it can really can change you your voice. Imagine what our if... tagline is like the girl with the monotone and the boy with the high pitched voice. <laughs> it kind of already is, isn't it? This is my real voice, people. Um, <laughs> until next time, bye, bye guys. Bye guys.